the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622 and Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Well, again, thanks to David Kincaid for leading us into the show. Again, we are on hallowed ground. We're on Broadway and Wall Street, which is right next to Trinity Church in the Trinity Church Cemetery, graveyard. I guess a, a church uh, burial ground is a graveyard, not really a right. cemetery. Old timey, that's the old-timey graveyard. The cemeteries were a new concept in the 1800s. Okay, so if you want to ask us a question about estate planning and elder law, and that's what the first part of the show is usually about, estate planning and elder law. Give us a call at 1-866-970-9622. 1-866-970-9622. Now, the second part of the show, we deal with nostalgia, politics, history, religion. And we're going to talk a little bit with politics today. We're going to talk to Nicole Maliotakis, the Republican conservative presumptive nominee for mayor. And... You know, if you don't like Bill de Blasio, give her a look. So we'll be talking to Nicole Maliotakis in a few minutes. And the last part of the show is nostalgia. And if you go back to the 50s and 60s, one of my favorite actors was Don Murray, and a very likable guy. And we're going to be talking to him. And part of it, his going back at least acting a little bit, he's 87 years old. He's now on Twin Peaks. <laughs> so we'll be talking about Twin Peaks, and we'll be talking a little bit more about his career. And he's originally a New York guy. So Don Murray, for those who remember Bus Stop, Marilyn Monroe, he was the star opposite Marilyn Monroe. I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for that appearance. But let's start with a, we'll start with an email question. Beth, what's your first email question? Okay. Hello. Six brothers and sisters own a property equally as they inherit it from their parents. Can one of them prevent the property from being sold? Thank you, Billy. Yeah, well, ordinarily, yes, one of them could prevent the property from being sold because if there's six owners, uh, all six would have to agree to sell. Now, when they say inherited, if it's through, still through the estate, the executor could have the authority to sell the property either with a court order if somebody objected or if nobody objected with a court order. So if it was inherited, like if somebody said, I leave... My house located at Fifth Avenue to my six children and six equal shares, then the executive does not have authority over the house. If it says I leave all the rest residue and remainder of my estate to my six children and six equal shares, the executive would have authority to sell the property. And so that's a question. Sometimes you got to be careful on how you word things in a will because if you think there's going to be somebody out there, you know, a lot of times a committee gets nothing done. You may want to put one person in charge, and that person's the executor. Of course, a lot of times, if you own real estate, what we like to do if you plan in advance is do a trust agreement and then have the trustee make the decision. The trustee is going to be, depending if you have six children, ordinarily we would recommend two of the children to be co-trustees. It would still be six equal shares, but let's say one or two of the children be in charge of selling the property after the parents are gone. We've got a question from Bradley. Yes, Bradley, what's your question? Yes. Hi. Good afternoon. My my mother resides in a uh, cooperative apartment in the Bronx here in New York City, and she purchased the apartment some time ago. Uh, there's an issue because she she brought in a a roommate. Uh, I believe it's a woman, and apparently there's been some objection with the uh, management about that. 
what, what finally the wrap up of it is that they uh, are trying to take her to court to the housing court to try to get one or the other out. Now, what I, I looked at the papers and and I tried to explain this to to the guy who's supposed to be her lawyer, and I don't think he understood, is that if they try to get her out of the co-op, they try to remove my mother from the co-op, which she paid for in full, does she lose the value of the property? Not necessarily, no. She would still own the shares of stock, but of course they could say she violated the proprietary lease, but that would be a very strict lease to say that you couldn't bring somebody in to live with you. Well, what I'm saying is that if they if they were pushing it to the point where they could conceivably get her out, would, would she have the ability, if, if she has to move, could she take a certain amount of time to sell the place before they, they finally get rid of her? Yes. I don't. Th- nobody's going to evict a senior citizen immediately. You said your mother was a senior citizen. And I seriously doubt if a yep. landlord and a housing court judge, a housing court judge would not have the, the right to terminate her rights under the uh, proprietary lease or her ownership in the stock certificate. He's usually just for so, landlord-tenant matters. So, so, so in other words, as long she's been paying her maintenance on time every time. That's not an issue. It's not that I understand that. Yeah, to, yeah. So, so the the point is that uh, what what could we do? Could 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 you? Is there anything you could do if we came to you uh, or your your associates? Uh, I we really don't do you know matters in the housing court, especially in the Bronx. And I'm sorry to say that, but. No. At the same time, no. is your mother is your mother eligible for uh, legal services? Uh, I don't believe. Well, she has money. Okay, all right. I you just you know the courts are so biased in favor of tenants. I can't imagine if any decent defense is put up there, you know, she'll be able to stay in the. I mean, is there anything strongly offensive about the? Uh, the tenant they're the, doing a lot of talking but there, there's no police report there's no insurance thing there's there's nothing that they could show that there is any kind of legal you know what i'm saying a legal issue right where they've done hurt somebody or broke some some property up what 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 i, I don't understand is they also her and that woman i don't know what the arrangement is it's very strange they've got this domestic partnership well the thing i think would be very difficult to throw them out if they have a domestic partnership I mean, they've been there together for, for a couple of years, and all of a sudden the, the management wants wants to get rid of them, and I, I just don't understand it. But they could – the court might be sympathetic to her plea, you think? I think the court would be very sympathetic to her plea, and if it's a domestic partnership, not just somebody who moved in off the street, uh, I don't think they can stop you from having your domestic partner live with you. I don't what care what the lease says. Yeah, real quick, you said that the lease the, – proprietary lease? Yeah, there are two parts to the ownership of co-op. There's the proprietary lease, in other words, the right to have a lease to that apartment, and the shares of stock in the corporation. And a landlord-tenant judge... They're separate, yeah. And a landlord-tenant judge would not be able to terminate your rights as a owner of the cooperative, you know, as part owner of that. So, I... Have they served her with papers? Or are they just writing letters? Uh, they're writing. They're sticking a lot of what they call notice on her door. Uh, but the thing is, the thing is, the, uh, the the you're saying that there's a law that prevents them from stopping you from having a, a roommate or another occupant in the apartment. No, there could be something in the proprietary lease that says any subtenants or whatever has to be approved by the co-op board. That I could see, but if it's a domestic partner, I can't see with it because an immediate member of the family. They don't need consent from the co-op to move an immediate member of the family, and if a domestic partner is not an immediate member of the family, I don't know who is. Uh, I see. I see. Well, well they, do they know that? Yes, they do. They've been told that repeatedly. They've been sent a copy of their papers. They were sent a copy of the domestic partnership. That's what I don't understand, and they they still don't like the idea. They okay. they they they're they're. They're, they're saying one thing, and they're not supporting it with anything. They're just doing a lot of talking, but I don't understand why. Well, one of the workers I spoke to at the management said they're doing that because they want to keep turning over the apartments so they can get more and more money and raise the value of the whole property. Is that That's a possibility. Yeah, but that's an extreme example to take, you know, for just to churn the apartments because, after all, the value of the building, if they if – 
you know, one apartment gets sold for a higher value. Is there flip tax in the building? Do you know that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that. But I know one thing, pays for it full up front and pays the maintenance every month. Okay. If she gets served with papers, a summons complaint or something like that, uh, please feel free to throw that by our office and we'll take a look at it and see if we can get your lawyer up there in the Bronx or get your mother away. And where was that? Where's your office? Uh, our main office in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, 7408 Fifth Avenue. But give us a call, 718-238-6500. Where do you live? Oh, in the Bronx. In the Bronx, yeah. We have an office in Bayside if you drive, Bayside, Queens, and in uh, Manhattan if you take the subway. All righty. Where's your office in Manhattan, sir? Uh, 110 East 59th Street, 59th Street and Lexington Avenue. Thank you ever so much, Mr. Connors. All right, Bradley. Good luck to you. All right, we got a... Another question. I'll tell you what. We'll take one more email question. We'll see if we can get Nancy on the phone. We'll, we'll take Nancy next. Okay, Nancy, what's your question? Good evening. Can you hear yes. me? Yes. There's a little breakup, but go okay. ahead. Good evening, Mr. Connors. I'm married to my second husband of five years. Before I got married to him, I bought a house that was in my name alone. Uh, my second husband and I, we both live there with two of my kids uh, from my prior marriage, though. We don't have any kids together. I don't have a prenup, but I want to protect my kids and have the house with them if either I get divorced or if I die. Well, divorce shouldn't be a major problem because, you know, if you had the property before the marriage. But still, probably the best way to protect it is to put the house in a trust. And if your children are not old enough, have a trustee to take care of the children. The other thing is, you know, if things are relatively good right now, you may ask your husband to sign a waiver to that trust so we won't have any claims against it if you pass away or if there is a divorce. Um, You had the property before, so he may have a claim in divorce if he said he put assets, he put his assets in the trust, he paid the taxes, whatever. But if we put the house in a trust and if he'll consent to that and say he has no claim against it, that wouldn't be a bad thing to do. And if there's going to be a problem, you may want to find out now. I see. There's no problem right now, but I appreciate your advice. Yeah, that might be the time to do it right now. Okay, let's try to get one more email question, then we have to take a break. Okay. This is Mr. Connors. What are my rights if my parents died and my brother is the executor of the will? Oscar. Okay, Oscar. Again, you know, I assume you're also named as beneficiary under the will. So after your brother has been appointed executor, seven months after your brother's appointed executor, you can go to court and ask for an accounting on the estate. So, in other words, you can say, hey, you know, I want to see what my brother's doing with the estate. He has to account in front of the court to tell him what he's doing. Now, be careful what you ask for, because if you demand too many accountings for no reason, you may be raising legal fees because your brother has to pay for a lawyer to start doing an accounting, and maybe he's doing everything fine, and it's not going to do you that much good. But if you think your brother is not acting in good faith, seven months after he's appointed executor of the estate, you can ask him to account for all his actions as executor under the estate in court, in a court accounting. I'm assuming, again, that you live in the state of New York. But it's not that hard to do, and that's one of the things you can probably do almost pro se, and the court clerks will help you depending on what surrogate's court you're in. All right, so I think that's the end of our estate planning session for today. If you want to find out more about estate planning, check in our seminars that we're going to do. We're going to have a commercial on here giving you the times and places of our seminars in July. In August, we're going to be in Queens. In September, we're going to be in Manhattan and Brooklyn. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Our next guest is going to be Nicole Maliotakis, Republican conservative candidate for governor. After that, we're going to be talking to legendary film star Don Murray. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home. 
that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday, July 17th at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. At Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Tuesday, July 18th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m p.m. and on Thursday, July 20th at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors and Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, this year is a mayoral election, and it's really not gotten a lot of attention. It should be getting more, but we're going to try to correct that today. With me is Republican candidate for mayor, Nicole Maliotakis. How are you doing today? Great, Mike. How are you? What are the issues that are driving you to make this race to run against Bill de Blasio? Well, I think it's clear to many New Yorkers that the quality of life has deteriorated under this mayor. We are seeing many problems exacerbated uh, under his uh, his lack of leadership, actually, Um, whether it be the homeless crisis that has increased significantly with the census uh, going up in terms of our homeless shelters, uh, not addressing the root cause of these individuals, uh, um, what's plaguing them, whether it be mental illness, substance abuse, uh, the need for vocational training to get a skill, to get a job, uh, so they can support themselves and their family and be able to live in this city. Uh, that's one aspect that's very noticeable. But also, obviously, the transit situation is a disaster here in the city. There are about 70,000 delays monthly uh, on our subway systems, and our mayor has not taken any responsibility, simply points fingers at the governor instead of being very vocal and putting money toward the capital plan to improve the, the subway system and especially upgrading the signals that are pre-World War II that would, would actually resolve most of the delays that are being currently experienced. Um, And then we have issues like education. There's still too many schools in our city uh, that are failing. He's pouring hundreds of millions of dollars in these schools, uh, not actually looking at the root cause of the problem, but instead having a tax and spend mentality where he's just throwing money, good money after bad, um, and, and, and spending hundreds of millions of dollars, as I mentioned, in his renewal schools program, which is not getting uh, results. And then there's the issues of, of the, the everyday quality of life, the traffic congestion that has uh, increased, um, the Vision Zero that has uh, created a lot of problems in, in the communities uh, with with uh, cameras being placed in, in places like, like exits on expressways that are basically there as traps uh, for people who are coming off the expressway. Um, then there's the issues of, of quality of life crimes that are not being enforced, like public urination, uh, littering, all crimes now that uh, we're seeing uh, no longer be enforced as they were. And we know that broken windows policing is important and it, and it prevents more crimes from happening. Uh, and so these are types, the types of things that I feel that have fallen to the wayside in the city of New York while our mayor is off fighting a national ideological war. He has simply abandoned his responsibility to manage the city of New York and to create an environment where there's a a good quality of life for everyone. Taking a a broader philosophical question, what is the difference between your philosophy of government and the mayor? Well, I think, um, well, first of all, I don't believe in taxing and spending. and I don't believe that we spend our way at a very problem. I believe that the city budget has increased 
um, from uh, $70 billion under Mayor Bloomberg to now $85 billion almost uh, with this current mayor. That's almost a quarter percent increase in the budget. I mean, it's really astronomical. He believes in adding more bureaucracy, adding more uh, people to the roles. We've had tens of thousands of people added to city government, uh, creating more bureaucracy, more red tape. Um, and I don't believe that, again, we should be spending our way out of every problem. I think that there has to be metrics that need to be reviewed. And when a, a program does not work, we take that money and use it more efficiently doing something else. And so I don't believe that just throwing more money at the problem is the answer. So that's one clear difference between the mayor and I. Also, uh, I, I'm a very much a law and order person. I believe that there, we have laws and we need to follow those laws and enforce those laws. We're not seeing that under Mayor de Blasio, who has uh, passed multiple or signed multiple pieces of legislation that no longer enforce quality of life crimes like uh, littering, like loud parties um, and noise violations um, and uh, that is something that I think is problematic. Public urination, another big issue that people are talking about right now. Um, it's really inappropriate. I mean, it's just inappropriate, and uh, you know, there's no reason why people need to urinate in public. And that's something that that adds to the, the de decreasing quality of life in our city. On the issue of sanctuary cities, the mayor and I have very different philosophies. Right now, there's a policy in the city of New York, which this mayor has implemented, in which they do not comply with detainer requests from the federal government for individuals who are not, on, not only here illegally, but are committing crimes. So in cases where an individual is committing grand larceny, sex abuse, forcible touching, patronizing a child, for prostitution, identity theft, welfare fraud, drunk driving, all crimes in which this mayor ties the hands of our law enforcement, uh, NYPD, and corrections and refuses to comply with the TINA request to have these individuals removed from the country so they don't commit more crimes against other immigrants and citizens. So these are, I think, very stark contrasts that the mayor and I have. Um, and the reality is, is that everything this mayor touches, he's not resolving any issues. I mean, they're not getting addressed and the the issue the concerns that I I bring up are only getting exacerbated under him. You're the child of immigrants and some people think that people that are opposed to the the concept of sanctuary cities are anti-immigrant. What would you respond? First of all, it's very offensive. I, I think it's a very offensive statement to make um, because when I speak about this issue, I specifically talk about individuals who are committing crime and I don't think anyone I don't know how anyone can really disagree with, you know, that people that have committed sex abuse or grand larceny in our community should be deported. I mean, I think that is, uh, I think that's a very reasonable point. Also, um, as you mentioned, I am the daughter of immigrants, and I also feel strongly uh, as, as the daughter of uh, my mother, who's Cuban, my father is Greek, and they have been in this country, um, and, and they have contributed and have been citizens since the 1970s. Um, I understand the aspirations of the American dream. It's what makes New York City so special in which the daughter of a Greek and Cuban immigrant, uh, in one generation, their daughter could be running for mayor of the city of New York. And so I understand the aspiration of the American dream. I believe we need to protect it. I believe we need to make it available for more uh, people who want to come to our country. But we can't tolerate individuals who are here committing crimes against other immigrants and citizens. And I think that's an important distinction to be making. Now, where can people find out more about your campaign for mayor? Well, I have a website at www.nicoleformayor2017.com, and they can find out more about me on my website. I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, and if they just Google my name, they'll see a lot of uh, issues that I've spoken about over the years. Transportation has been one of my number one issues. Uh, senior issues is very important to me. I talk about education. I've been one of the individuals in Albany who have fought to repeal Common Core. Um, I've restored bus uh, service in my district. Um, and certainly uh, they can find more about my priorities both on my website and just by doing a quick Google search of my name. Okay, Nicole for mayor. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. 
Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. The other night I was watching Twin Peaks, and all of a sudden a very familiar face popped up on the screen. Our next guest, Don Murray. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well, particularly well, because I'm enjoying uh, watching this series uh, of of, uh, David Lynch uh, of Twin Peaks, uh, because when you agree to do the show with him you only see your scenes you don't get to see the rest of the scenes so you don't really know what it's about and uh, all the revelations uh, and the interesting turns that the story takes uh, are all surprises to me and I'm uh, I'm d- delighted with it. Okay now some of the younger people in the audience may not remember you but you were the, the title character in The Hoodlum Priest. You were the hero of From Hell to Texas, directed by Henry Hathaway. In a lot of people's minds, they remember you from Bus Stop because you co-starred with Marilyn Monroe. That's right. That's what most people remember these days. And I'm pleased with that because uh, I, I was very happy with the picture, and I thought she was wonderful in it. As a matter of fact, I thought that she should have gotten the Academy Award, but she wasn't even nominated. As a matter of fact, Marilyn was never nominated for an award or was never given any special recognition by the Academy, which is uh, a shame because I think she deserved it. Now, a lot of times you read in different articles or whatever, she was a very difficult person to work with. How did you find her? Well, she was difficult to work with because she did come in late every day. Uh, it's an amazing thing because there's, there's not nobody that was better in front of a camera than Marilyn Monroe, but she was totally terrified of being in front of the camera. As a matter of fact, uh, she'd come on the set with a skin that looked like a baby skin, completely clear and lines and just pure, wonderful uh, white skin. And uh, and she'd break, walk in front of the camera and have to start rolling. She'd break out in a rash because she was so nervous. It was a very strange uh, dichotomy. You were thinking about writing a book about your relationship with Marilyn Monroe role in the movie. Did that book get finished? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, it's much more than just my relationship with Marilyn Monroe. It's a decade of what is happening in her life as, and at the same time as what is happening in mine. And I go back and forth between the two lives until we meet. And then the, the part of the book is about us together, which is the largest part of the book. And then is what happened uh, previously from the time we finished bus stop and and uh until her death uh which came uh, six years later i know this is a stupid question an obvious question what was your reaction when you heard about her death 
Well, I was just a total shock. It happened on the day I was married, as a matter of fact, in Berlin to my wife, uh, Betty Johnson, the model Betty Johnson, who is now Betty Murray, of course. And uh, and that was a real shock to me, and uh, I was uh, uh, very surprised because I I didn't know, uh, because she was... Uh, didn't have any sing- signs of this when we were doing bus stop, uh, but uh, I didn't know about her drinking or her heavy pill taking. So that that came a, as a shock to me. What is your book about? Because you you touched upon it briefly about before bus stop, after bus stop. But give the audience an idea. Well, the most important thing that it's about is that uh, I uh, dur- during the Korean War. Uh, I uh, was uh, I, I served in a, a group called Brethren Service, which is one of the three historic peace ch- churches. So for two and a half years, I, I was in Germany uh, doing two things: I helping as a laborer build the headquarters for our relief uh, uh, activities there. Uh, so I got the idea of building a, a refugee-free community. And I joined with an American social worker named Belden Paulson, and uh, we found land on the island of Sardinia uh, that was uh, very fertile land and uh, was in an underpopulated part of Italy, which was the only uh, underpopulated part of Italy. And we bought land there. Uh, I put up the down payment with my wife at the time of uh, Hope Lang, the actress, and uh, with Melvin Paulson, we developed a, a refugee re, uh, free community with the United Nations uh, finally uh, lauded as the, uh, the only uh, a refugee integration program that ever worked. And uh, they went and, and hired Belden, my, my partner, as a special representative to expand the project and, and use it for uh, settling the rest of the rest of the rest of the that were living in barbed wire camps. And that was a project called HELP, the Homeless European Land Program, and uh, that uh, was uh, was organized in 1957 and uh, became self-supporting uh, in 1968 and uh, became the, uh, the example, uh, the principal example for the Peace Corps. Speaking about Germany, you did a very interesting film back in the 60s about an escape from East Berlin. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that movie? Yeah, that was a, a movie based on a, a real event. The, the first uh, 28 people that escaped from East Berlin by digging under the infamous Berlin Wall. They tunneled under it. And uh, so that that was the, the movie. It was uh, it had two titles. One is uh, Tunnel 28 and the other was Escape from East Berlin. Did you meet any of the people, the real-life characters that you portrayed or your co-stars portrayed? Yes, we, yes, we did meet them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they were technical consultants on the film. Okay, and the determination or the ingenuity of those people, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, was very courageous, too, because they, they would have been all put in prison if they had been caught. You know, I was in West Germany in the service during the 70s, and every once in a while, and it wasn't that uncommon, somebody would be shot trying to cross over from East Germany into West Germany. It wasn't an unusual circumstance. No, that's that's true. Then you were there in the military at the time. I was there as service and uh, brethren service because that's that's exactly when I was there. Another thing we didn't get to talk about last time, but you were in a, a very interesting TV series, which today may seem very calm to some expense, but it was about two bounty hunters of different races, which back then was unusual. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, at that time, ABC, I had never done a series, and ABC wanted me to do a series, so they gave me a, a choice of uh, three different series, and whichever one I chose, they would put on the air for an entire year without doing a pilot, just uh, 20, 28 se- uh, segments uh, uh, an entire year. And uh, I chose uh, The Outcast because it was the opportunity for uh, a for black kids to have a cowboy hero, uh, a cowboy who was the hero of the piece, not not just playing a secondary role, because uh, 
black actors had played secondary roles in uh, westerns, but were never the hero uh, equal to the to the white role. Uh, so the outcast was the story of a former slave played by Otis Young, a wonderful actor, uh, and an uh, American slave o- or a southern slave owner played by, by me. Uh, and that, that, was, uh, that was a real joy to do. I, I'm sorry it only lasted for one year. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Know someone who's been touched by cancer? It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my to them? assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors and Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Don Murray, who we just mentioned was on Twin Peaks a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he, he was a star of many important films, especially in the 60s and 70s. The Hoodlum Priest, Advising Consent. Now, Advising Consent, that was a great cast. It really was. And it was a wonderful screenplay uh, uh, by a man named Hayes. I think it was Richard Hayes. His name was... And a wonderful direction by Otto, Otto Preminger. And that was one of the last films of Charles Lawton, if it wasn't his last film? Yes, it was, yeah. And, uh, I, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Francis Tone died, I think, uh, just about a, a week after the film was finished. Uh, so that was his last film. Now, you play a troubled character in that. And today, I don't know if the film would, I don't know if people would understand the film. The the, uh, the the trouble of the character is that he had had, uh, while he was uh, a lonely in his Pacific Ocean, he had had a homosexual affair. And then he went on to live a normal uh, uh, heterosexual uh, life. But uh, uh, when some people in Congress wanted to get to force him to uh, agree to uh, support their candidate for Secretary of State, they they blackmailed him uh, for that uh, homosexual relationship, and he ended up committing suicide. So it was a very, very, very uh, sad, tragic story, but uh, it was a wonderful presentation of how democracy works. It, it was... Just a splendid film, I think. You worked with a lot of traditional Holly directors, so to speak, and now you're working with David Lynch. What's the difference? Well, number one is with David Lynch, you don't get the script, so you don't know what kind of a movie you're in uh, because you only get the scenes that you're, you're, you're in. And interestingly enough, 
uh, David Lynch is the only producer director who I never met before I walked on the set to act for him. Uh, I had never spoken to David Lynch, and uh, he didn't uh, ask to see me before he hired me. He uh, just hired me. Uh, I could have walked in uh, with uh, uh, an, a little uh, uh, a nose, uh, uh, what I get, little wires in my nose and pulling a tank of air from me. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a decrepit person that he hired. So that was amazing. I think it was because of uh, the casting director, Joanna Ray, uh, that uh, I was really cast in that because uh, I knew her and she knew my work. And I think when she mentioned me to David, David said, oh, yeah, he could play Mullins, uh, which kind of startled me because it's a very large role. Now, going back on, on your career, if a young person asked you what film, what show would best represent the work of Don Murray, what would it be? Well, it would be two, uh, actually. Uh, it would be uh, Bus Stop, because it was directed by Josh Logan, and great, great director, and that was with Marilyn Monroe. But also my own production uh, of The Hoodlum Priest, uh, which uh, I wrote and produced and starred in. Uh, those two were the most important pictures, and I think the best pictures I was ever involved with, both of them. Now, The Hoodlum Priest was critically acclaimed at the time. Yes, it was. And you played a Jesuit priest, and, and tell the audience what the story was behind that. Well, he was called The Hoodlum Priest because he he worked with uh, ex-convicts and, uh, and trying to get them work and, and a place to live to keep them from going back to jail again. And his concept was to build a halfway house where, where they can live and be, and be fed and, and, and housed until they got themselves on the on the feet with a with a normal job and they could go out on their own. Uh, so he uh, he had a, a real struggle to to do that, and he also had a, had a struggle in trying to convince uh, the authorities that he wasn't a hoodlum himself; that he was just with working with these hoodlums to to keep them away from crime. Uh, so it, it was uh, it was chosen by the National Board of Review as the number four film of the year, and it won five international best awards, uh, uh, four awards for best movie, and one award for best actor, which was shared by Keir DeLay and myself. Of course, that was a powerful statement against the death penalty or capital punishment at the time. Yes, it was. Because it's a lot easier to do it in a film where you have real people, where you're showing real people, than just an abstraction. Yes, and and events that actually happen rather than fiction. Are you doing any other projects right now? Well, as I said, I finally have my my book, which is not just an actor's story because the main thing of it is the development of the Peace Corps, which which actually, as it developed, uh, it was an, an accident in, in a way because because I had been with Marilyn and Bus Stop, the Democratic Party asked me to come to Hibbing, Minnesota, in November, right before the election, uh, and introduce Senator Kefauva, uh, who was a vice presidential candidate for the Democrats, uh, and Kefauva was plane was late, so they asked me to make an extraneous, uh, extemporaneous uh, speech. <laughs> and, and the speech had to be half an hour long, and they wanted a speech about Hollywood. Well, I didn't even live in Hollywood. I just made the one film with Marilyn, and I went right back to my home in New York. So I couldn't talk for, for 10 minutes about Hollywood, so instead I told them about Brother in Service and my work uh, with the, the refugees in the, in the barbed camps uh, and my uh, desire to get those people out of the camps. And uh, and Humphrey heard of that, and he said to me afterwards, you know, I, I, I want to learn more about this because I'd like it to get the government behind, behind the altruistic zeal of young people like yourself. And uh, he, he worked on that. For, for five years, and he named it the Peace Corps, but uh, as I said, he was not able to get it through Congress, and then uh, during his campaign, 
against Kennedy for the presidency. As a matter of fact, uh, Kennedy took over the idea and uh, uh, spoke about creating uh, a Peace Corps, and uh, later he established it, as I say, by presidential decree. So it was uh, it was uh, Humphrey's uh, baby, you know, his uh, uh, his idea, but it was finally put through by Kennedy. I'm going to ask one last question because we have some fans of James Cagney out there. What was it like to work with James Cagney and shake hands with the devil? Well, it was a real kick because Cagney had been a, a real uh, film hero of mine, not for his gangster films, but for the fighting 69th, where he played uh, a soldier and the 69th resident of New York. Uh, in uh, He played in World War One, And as a matter of fact, my uncle was a member of the fighting 69th. So I always... Uh, in World War One, so I always uh, connected to Cagney, and here I was playing with him, co-starring with him, and that was a, a real thrill. Uh, he was uh, he was always embarrassed by his gangster films. The only film he really liked of his, up until Shake Hands with the Devil, was uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, the one that uh, the story of George George M. Cohen, the musical story, and there uh, were where he played Cohen and, and did his dancing like like uh, Cohen. And that was the one film that he was really proud of. And I think that was his best film. Uh, so that was it. I worked with him in, in uh, Shake Hands with the Devil. And that, another nice thing that happened with Shake Hands with the Devil is I was doing right after that, I was doing uh, The Hasty Heart as a television movie. And... Uh, I convinced them to bring uh, Richard Harris over for a part, sight unseen, without ever seeing him. And I convinced them by telling them uh, that to bring him over, and if they don't cast him, I'll reimburse them for his airfare. And uh, I brought him over, and they absolutely just loved him. And, and as soon as they, he auditioned for them, they, he got the role uh, you know, a lot of question, and they thanked me for, for bringing them over. Hopefully we'll get this book out about you and Marilyn. Anything else we should be looking for you? Uh, well, uh, let, let's see. Yeah, the, 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 there's going to there's gonna be something uh, interesting coming out, too, is, is my son, uh, Michael, wrote a book uh, called Salvage, which is based on his own experience uh, diving for the largest ship ever sunk off the Spani uh, on the Spanish main off the coast of Ecuador. And uh, that, that dive story, uh, that's going to be coming out soon. And, uh, and uh, I helped him with the editing of that, just like he helped me with the editing of my book. So I think uh, these, these two events will be really interesting events for our family and for the, for the public, I think. Don Murray, thank you for being on our show. Good luck to you. We enjoyed you in the past, and now we're enjoying you in the present. Well, I really appreciate that, Mike. I've, I've enjoyed talking to you before, and uh, you do an interesting show, and I'm happy to be part of it. All right. Well, again, thanks to Don Murray or whatever. Uh, one of the things he said off camera, or off the radio, I should say, in between one of the breaks is uh, he says, you watching Twin Peaks? Yes. Do you understand what it's about? And I said, no. And he says, if you figure it out, let me know, because I don't understand it either. Uh, Do we but. have Twin Peak lovers out there? <laughs> oh, man. David well, Lynch keeps you on your... <laughs> well, to be honest, well, I, I love some of the actors that are in Twin Peaks. Some, you know, David Lynch gets these old actors together, and I love... You know, seeing them where you, you wouldn't see them at any other time. Well, if anybody out there knows what's going on, please let us know. We we watched the last episode and just were looking at each other. Oh, my gosh. And we'll let Don Murray know <laughs> at that point. <laughs> now, this uh, July 19th, one of our favorite people, Peggy Eason, is going to be doing a concert. The Chocolate Diva, that's her name, nickname. And she's going to be at the... Downstairs at the West Bank Cafe, 407 West 42nd Street on July 19th, 7 p.m. Tickets are 20 bucks. We're going to be there. Looking forward to being it there. And we, we wish Peggy 
luck with that. But if, if you want any more information on that, give us a call at our office at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Peggy Eason, a concert downstairs at the West Bank Cafe on July 19th, 7 p.m., one of our favorite people. I can't wait to hear. This is going to be my first time to ever hear her live. Nothing better than that. So hooray, hooray. Break a leg, Peggy. Now, we're going to do our seminars again at the end of this month. And uh, we're going to be in Brooklyn. And if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, please feel free to ask the questions. You know, a lot of times people come to our office and say, I've got this question, I've got that question. And, and sometimes they can't even formulate what their question is. And that's where the seminars can help because a lot of times you can hear what other people, what questions other people are asking, and that may help you formulate your own idea and plan. And there's never a right answer for everybody, but uh, the, the one thing, the, the wrong answer, is not to do anything. The worst thing you can do is not do anything. You should do something. And the first thing you start with, if you don't have a will, everybody should have a will, and that's without exception. And that's one of the things we talk about at the seminars. Again, July 17th, we're going to be in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at Vesuvio's Restaurant, 11, 3, and 7. Tuesday, July 18th, we're going to be in Buckley's on 2926 Avenue West. That's the corner of Nostrand Avenue. Again, we're going to be there at 11, 3, and 7. That's on Tuesday, July 18th. Thursday, July 20th, we're going to be in Park Slope at the Montauk Club at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And, of course... July 19th, we're going to see Peggy Eason, so we're not going to do a seminar that day. And, again, if you have any questions, you know, write them down, and we'll answer them at the end of the seminar. People love the seminars because the um, sometimes if you hear the other person, Mike goes over a, a big overview of estate planning, and then people from the floor ask questions, and sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. So even though you may not think, well, everything applies to you, listening to the other people, ask their questions, and and try to figure out that it's not as scary as you think it is. I think that's part of it. It can be overwhelming, so don't panic. Um, as our friend Father Paul says, Mike might traumatize you with all the information that he gives at the seminar. But it's not nearly as scary as you think. And let's remember Father Paul on our prayers. He's headed back to Lebanon. In fact, he should be back now. in Lebanon. Yeah. But we taped an interview just before he left, so hopefully we'll pay that in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.